Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to All Things Therapy Podcast. Today is December 2nd, 2021, which is a palindrome. It's spelled the same way, forwards and backwards. I thought that was pretty cool when I realized it a little bit ago. Welcome. And I want to do my sponsors and a shout out to a podcast first. Before I tell you a little bit about what I do, I have been listening to a podcast that I found called Sleep Whispers, W-H-I-S-P-E-R-S. And the host, Harris, is so unique. He whispers his podcasts to you. And he started this show back in 2016 to help him quiet his own mind to be able to fall asleep. It's really unique. If you're looking for something different to help you fall asleep, check out his show. The website is sleepwhispers.com. You can find Sleep Whispers on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are found. He's rated a top health podcast. And I just want to thank you, Harris, for what you're doing and for also working with me and promoting all things therapy to your audience. I just think it's so unique that you whisper your episodes to help people quiet their minds and fall to sleep. Awesome job. If you are looking for a different way to do therapy besides, say, working with someone like me in private practice, my sponsor, BetterHelp.com, is offering you 10% off your first month to try them out, doing virtual therapy, either phone or video, through their platform. They offer financial aid to those of you in every state and license to work with you with various issues having to do with anxiety, depression, relationship issues, work issues, personal health, whatever it may be. So check them out if you'd like to. Take 10% off your first month as my listener by going to betterhelp.com forward slash ATT for all things therapy. And it's spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash ATT for all things therapy. You've probably seen them. They're doing a lot of advertising in the last year, and they're a really great platform. 
if you are interested in working with me, I am accepting new clients. I'm really excited to offer you a 30-day intensive with, with me based upon the principles in my book, The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness. My book has been endorsed by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, who sent me the most beautiful letter saying about the principles laid out in my book having to do with empathizing to our own inner needs and applying self-forgiveness and compassion, incorporating meditation as a tool to access those states of mind that align us with the solution versus the problems that we're so very familiar with. And His Holiness believes that my work will be a great help to many of you who read my book. It's such an honor. I'd love for you to have it. My book is available everywhere books are sold. You can even go to your local brick and mortar, give my name, Lisa Tahir, or the book, The Chiron Effect, and they can order it for you if you don't want to shop at, say, Barnes & Noble or Walmart.com or Amazon.com. Go to where it's easy. I'd love for you to have my book, and please submit a written review after. I read those reviews, and I really enjoy seeing the feedback. So thank you for that. Again, my website, I didn't even say it, nolatherapy.com, N-O-L-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y.com. I'm actually feeling so excited to get into the guest portion of the show. Today, we are with Wendy Tamis Robbins. She is a corporate lawyer working in social impact investing by day. She is also a speaker. She's a coach. She's the author of this book that I'm holding up if you're watching live on video. It's called The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. It's an Amazon bestseller. And Wendy's, Wendy just has such a powerful story. She is someone who actually created the support that she needed to heal and recover and work through anxiety that was debilitating in many ways, obsessive compulsive thoughts, panic disorders, and these things ran in the background of her life for nearly 40 years. And she is here to talk talk to us about ways that she now helps, helps people overcome these issues. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for the work that you do. It's so thank inspiring. You. It's so important. So thank you. You're so welcome. Before we came live, I was just saying how much I love your Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I want to give that to our listeners. It's Wendy underscore Tamis underscore Robbins, correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. How, you you're welcome. How are you today? I'm great. We, we just got our Christmas tree. So oh, that's fun. One of those special days. Yeah. And you're but in, I'm... you're in Massachusetts, correct? Yes. Yes. Just North of Boston. Oh, so it's cold there. Hmm. It's actually a very mild day. It was the best day to get the tree. Um, I was all bundled up and I was sweating. Oh so we don't get many of those. Yeah, it was nice. It sounds really nice. And, you know, I, I want to get into your book because you talk about so many important things that resonate with me as a therapist. One mm -hmm. of the things that struck me is where you talk about feeling versus fearing. And I don't know where you want to start, but I have some bullet points and I just wanted to kind of launch with that because I, I found it to be really pivotal, especially during a time when people are feeling so much fear and how you really creatively cope with that by encouraging us to feel it. And I wondered if you could share some more about that. 
Sure. Um, so much of my own struggle was around being terrified by all of these anxious feelings in my body and thoughts that I was having that it really, I saw over time how that was really exacerbating my condition, right? Um, and because this emotion inside of us is, it's energy and it needs to be processed and released and then we need to move on. And when we're sort of terrified of it and we just keep pushing it down, further down, further back and not addressing it and letting it come out to be processed in a healthy way, um, it starts to really wreak havoc on us mentally um, and a lot of times physically as well. So that's a big part of what I talk about in the book. And I've written an article um, about it as well. And there's a blog on my website um, really about how important it is to be willing to feel these emotions rather than fear them. Um, and, you know, how do you, because you talk about as well, which really resonated with me, the role of compassion while mm -hmm. healing. And I feel like that's fitting in because often these anxious thoughts are very brutal. They're very abrupt. They're very critical and negative. Mm -hmm. And can you talk to us about the role of compassion in your healing personally and how you help others? Yeah, it's it's really huge. I mean, when I distill down my book and my my healing journey, so much of it, if I can just pick one word, it would be self-love and compassion and words like that. That was really the cornerstone of all of it because I had been, to your point, beating myself up for so long. And that was a a big reason why I was hiding it and why I think a lot of other people try and hide it or deal with it themselves because there's so much shame around it that you should be able to deal with this. You, you're better right. than this. What did I do wrong? Why am I not like other people? All of those um, critical thoughts. And, you know, I talk about sometimes in uh, one of my programs that door number three is really the way that we, where we find healing. Door number one is refusing to look at the problem and just push it away, sort of that fearing it. Okay. And door number two is just being in it and, and being triggered by all of these things all of the time and not okay. understanding that there's a better way, like dealing with it in a negative way and letting, letting it absorb you versus door number three is really being curious about what's happening. Why are you feeling anxious? Why are you so stressed out? Whatever it may be. Yes. And then bringing that self-compassion to it. Of course, I feel scared. Of course, I'm overburdened. Of course, I'm overwhelmed, whatever it may be. And then, you know, filling that space with that compassion. I hear you really empathetically attuning to yourself and encouraging others to do that and, and being curious about the anxiety and, and the messages that it has for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I love the way that you say that the messages that it has for us, because that's exactly what my journey looks like and what I teach the pro the process that I bring my clients through is looking at our past and using it like a flashlight. Like if you feel anxious about certain moments or certain things or certain people that you think about, those are pain points that we need to go back and learn more, discover what really happened and heal those open wounds. Yeah. And then also you can use it looking into your future, like as, as an, another light that's shining on things, opportunities that you have to build resistance because of your anxiety. If there's anxiety coming up for you, I was always in a place where I would resist and I would mm -hmm. say no. 
And that's where the title for my book came up, like the box. I was just in this tiny little box that I wasn't living my life to the fullest. So it's really a place where you can then say, if I'm feeling anxious about this and it's not a real threat to my safety or something like that, that's probably a place where you can challenge yourself and step outside of your your comfort zone, right? That line in the sand that you drew and step into that life that's waiting for you on the other side. And Wendy, you use that metaphor of the box throughout your book, starting, if I'm remembering correctly, with when you were, I think, around six and a big box that some maybe a refrigerator came in and mm-hmm. you used it like so many kids do to kind of make a house that you played in. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? And you felt really safe there emotionally because you grew up in a house that had a lot of disruption and that was a place that you felt safe. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's really where... Where obviously where the metaphor came from. And I, when I started this process, this, my own healing journey that came up for me um, several times at the beginning. And I was like, what was going on in that box, you know? And then it was so clear to me that once that box was thrown in the trash, that that's really the mental construct that I was carrying with me for all of those years that I was trying to understand what this anxiety was and how I could protect myself from it. Mm-hmm. And the in the box I sent you felt just really shielded, shielded mm-hmm. from it physically and emotionally. Being so young, you know, children don't have the skills to understand their emotions, to give names to them. And so it's like you just knew you were safe there and then it's thrown away and it's like you're exposed mm-hmm. all over again. And, right. and you use that metaphor as the box as well, ongoingly talking about compartmentalization, just one of the seemingly self-protection skills or defense mechanisms that people often use, you know, is compartmentalizing areas of their lives, but it's not effective, as you know, at a certain point because you're cut off from parts of yourself. Can you talk to us about how you started to realize that and, and wanting to change it and then actually being able to change for yourself? Yeah, sure. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah. So the, one of the first things I did once I realized that, you know, had this idea of the box, I needed to understand what the bricks in those walls of that box looked like, because there was a little bit of everything. There was body image issues. There was perfectionism. There was people pleasing because of the chaotic um, environment that I grew up in, right? You're just hyper vigilant, like keep everyone happy, keep the doors locked, keep everyone safe. So there were so many bricks in these walls that I needed to really look at and, like I said before, heal those wounds if there were open wounds there and understand what that child was going through and trying to process during that time. And really, that's how I dismantled those walls, was going back and sitting and doing a lot of reparenting with that child. Mm-hmm. Um And then understanding too, how those walls then affected me. What did it look like while I was living inside of that box? Because to your point, like if you're walled off literally and emotionally from everyone around you, even though what you seek is connection, because we know how healing that connection is for us, right? If you can't speak your truth and all you're presenting to the world is this picture perfect facade, because you think that that's the armor you need to hide the unraveling inside you can't build those connections. It's not relatable. It's you feel a separation all of the time, right? Right. 
because you're not presenting your true self. And that's really what happened in my first marriage. It happened in a lot of relationships for me until those walls really came down. And I was able to give and receive love in a very deep, honest way because I had revealed, you know, my inner self was now matching my outer self. Yes. There is congruency there. Congruence there. Exactly. Right. You know, and I want listeners to know that that growing up, you were and, and still are super type A and achievement oriented. You got a scholarship to Dartmouth for college. You were on, you played basketball in, in high school, right? And then mm-hmm. got a scholarship to, to Dartmouth and, and varsity track as well. Yeah, yeah and, I threw the javelin. Right, that's right. You threw the javelin, which you didn't even enjoy. But what, didn't the coach see some real talent? So it's kind of like, okay, I'll do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was very strange, but it was very calculated at the time because I knew there, you know, basketball players were a dime a dozen and I played softball and they were a dime a dozen. I played volleyball that, but javelin was a little, you know, outside the box again for, to use the metaphor again. But, um, and I knew that doing so well academically that that would set me apart from other people. And it's exactly what happened. My junior year, I was throwing at the state championships and the Dartmouth uh, head coach was there and saw me and started recruiting me. So it really worked, you know, it worked to my advantage at the time, but um, looking back, I'm not so sure it was the right decision for my mental health, you know, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because in the book, you, you write so articulate, articulately about the struggle, how much you loved basketball, and you really found an identity, you found a community, you found something that helped you to really show up as your authentic self. And then I, I felt it like crumbling away. And I think so many people can relate when they read your book, like doing something they love, but here's this opportunity, you know, an Ivy league school offering you a scholarship, doing something that you don't love, but it's like the, the opportunity, the prestige, what everyone else was thinking was so awesome for you. And that's when things started to, to really break down, Mm -hmm. I think inside of you. I wonder if you could speak to now with the hindsight you have to that, that age that at that time. Yeah, she, um, that's emotional. She, oh, yeah. what did she need? Yeah. I really, you know, I, I hate to think of that. I regret that decision because I really don't, because I think it mm-hmm. made me who I am today. Absolutely. But at the time I needed permission to not have so much pressure to perform and achieve and say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill in my environment, there weren't people pushing me. I was, most of it was internal. I was pushing myself because that's what I thought would get me the love and the connection that I was looking for. And I wish that I had just, you know, had gone to a, a school that I could just play and, 
And I talk about that at the beginning of the book too. Like as a child, all I wanted to do was play. I yeah. love that word because it's so important that we have that lightness of being, right? There was no lightness in my world. It was right. all pressure. It was all performance oriented. And this was just going to be another way to earn external validation, right? To have an Ivy League education. And of course it served me over time, but yes, there was, it's like that decision pulled a thread. And when I went to that school, I had this identity crisis that I think a lot of kids do going to college. And that's yeah. why so many of them struggle with anxiety. I have clients who are college age and it's really a difficult time. And to, to be such a fish out of water like I was, and I thought it was so amazing that coming from where I was, public school and so forth, that I could get there. But yes. there's such a disconnect. It was so difficult that it was really the first time I hit rock bottom. And I was calling a suicide hotline sophomore right. year, which was I, was, I was just struggling more than I had ever comprehended was even possible. And I think the universe was definitely leading you because had you not made that decision, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today and who you are in this book, which offers so many valuable insights and experiences into what it is like to experience anxiety and panic and self-doubt and even questioning your own value and worth in those moments of calling the suicide hotline and how many of us have been through that, you know, and feel like we're so alone. So I think by you accepting that scholarship, though it, it didn't, you know, feel like it was your happiest choice at the time. I feel like it's really led you to being your full and authentic self. In the yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I, there's a little story in the book about um, talking to a boy freshman year at Dartmouth and him asking me why I'm even there. Oh Yeah. And I yeah. say, I want to, I want to inspire people. I want to be an inspiration for others to live their best life. And I really wanted to be a politician and I wanted to go into government. And that was, you know, I was on the lawyer path and it's, the, I, I remember the difficult moments of seeing, you know, being on campaigns and thinking I can't even sit in the audience without having a panic attack. So how could I ever stand on that stage? It's just never going to happen for me. And my dreams were just crumbling and, you know, in front of me and it was so painful. And now to your point, it's kind of come full circle where I'm, I'm doing it. I'm presenting this to the world in, in a way to serve people, right. To invite yeah. them sort of into the light and expose their own struggles so that we can all bear the weight of this together, especially now during a pandemic. And it's just so prevalent. So I feel like I, I am fulfilling that um, yeah. desire in some way. And that path is just, it's, it's just, it got me to the same place, but in a very different way. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember that section of your book because it kind of took me aback when he asked you and you gave this super thoughtful, you know, very enlightened answer about wanting to help. And, and it, didn't he say something like, Oh, I just want to play. Was it football? Hockey. Or hockey? Yeah. I just want to play hockey. Yeah. Like, and it was so <laughs> such contrast, you know, to your thoughtful answer. And mm. in some way to me, it was like, wow, like the levity he had in life you know, there's something kind of awesome about that. He was just there to play hockey. Right. He, he was so, just there to play. Right. right. And what was that like? Because I feel like that was like an important moment in, in the book, that contrast between your answer and his, almost like it's okay to just want to play. 
Right. I think it shows the contrast that, yeah, that I was mentioning before around somebody who doesn't feel the weight of the world at all and right. how I had almost like this prepared canned response. Like I was on this like podium, like, oh my gosh, you asked me the question and now I'm going to give this, you know, prepared speech. And he was just like, I don't, I've never prepared a speech. I'm just here to play. And and I just, I was not in that space at all. So yeah, I think it, 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 um, it projects that stark contrast between the two mindsets. It does. And for, for listeners and viewers who, who get Wendy's book, you know, it starts off talking about, I mean, how, I don't see how you could have had a lighter approach given your childhood experiences where you were having to take care of your mom's feelings as such a young girl when she was, um, you know, melting down emotionally and you became that caretaker at such a young age and life was more serious for you than other children. And I'm curious, what, what age did you start to have that awareness? Like, Hey, maybe, maybe this is different. Maybe this, you know, something's not right. Five. Oh, wow. So you knew (laughs) that young. Okay. I think five was, well, I was in the box at five and I, um, yeah, I was already taking care of everyone and I would I would I would almost smell it, you know, mm. like 5 or 10 minutes before the blow up would start. I could tell. I could I could feel it in the air. It was like a storm brewing, you know. Yeah. And my brother and sister not so much. And so I would start to start to pre- almost prepare like for a storm. Literally, I, I I just had the image of me like running around the kitchen, like, oh, let's put some of the toys away. Let's, you be quiet. Let's do, you know, just calm yeah. everything down so that this storm doesn't continue to get closer and closer because I knew, I knew what the consequences were at a pretty young age. And, um, you know, to my, to my mom's, in my mom's defense, it was an unhealed, sure. untreated, trauma and mental health issue that, you know, that's that generational mental health that we, uh, so many people struggle with because it just wasn't dealt with back in the day. Like, like it's like, it's like it is now. And, you know, it was just on Valium and drinking alcohol and doing everything she could to tame it, but you can't keep that genie in the bottle very long, you know? So yeah, for me, it started at a very young age and um, just continued on. And trying to find your sense of control in your household. I really related to that, that by being super intuitive and sensitive to the emotional climate, the emotional weather in your house, and like, let's do this, this, and that, doing everything in your little one's power to keep things calm, you know, though there's no way to actually do that as we we learn as adults, just all that you could do to maintain a sense of control. And it was interesting to read how your awareness of that heightened, you know, to being able and willing to kind of like release control, which is so scary. Yet I remember at one point you, you like you, you were willing to, to consider that. And I think any of us that have experienced anxiety or childhood trauma can really relate to your book and that healing journey. Mm-hmm. And and I'm curious for you about the the issue of control and turning it over, surrendering it. How do you conceptualize that now? Hmm. Um, you know, really practicing non-attachment and surrender to your point. Um, because I think a lot of that came from finding that calm, quiet center that was always within me that was underneath all of the pain and anxiety. 
And I did that really through, I, I really mined that, mined through all of that anxiety to that spot through meditation. And mm. I had never thought meditation would be possible for me because my, my thoughts were racing so much. But um, I was given a meditation by Martha Beck, who I'm sure you've heard I've of. heard her name, yeah. And, yeah, she's a wonderful life coach, amazing, number one, you know, New York Times bestselling author, the whole thing. So she gave me a meditation that really started me on my way to allow my thoughts to just run and run and run. And through that process, I started to really have the, the anxiety come up in me. It was a place to start to process it. And then I found that really deep, calm, uh, quiet space that it, it sort of, um, it sort of turned a key, like and opened a door for me into a different part of of my, you know, my spiritual, uh, life, my spiritual being, I guess it was a different, a different door inside of my house, whatever, yeah. whatever that looks like. Um, and I realized that I stopped identifying with my anxiety. It was no wow. longer who I was. It was something that was happening to me because of what I had gone through. It wasn't me anymore. I had yeah. that break, that separation. And that was very, very profound for me. And so in that space, that quiet space, that authentic space, that's where I've learned to surrender and, and relinquish control because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just not it, my, my emotional state. That anxiety is not so tied to it anymore. You know, what you're saying right now, Wendy, is reminding me of in your work where you talk about diffusing our triggers. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask if you can talk to us about how we can do that because it's such an important skill to have. Yeah. So um, this really came up for me when I became a stepmom because, God, those little kids, you know, <laughs> they look really cute and sweet and they can just do some damage <laughs> to you mentally and emotionally, right? It's such a mirror back yeah. to who you are, who you thought you would be, um, especially not having my own children. It's just, there was a lot to unpack there. So I would feel very triggered in that situation um, and really had to find a way. That was the impetus for me to find a way to figure out how to diffuse it for me because I was having panic attacks. You know, they were really triggering my fight or flight response. And I was in a kitchen. I wasn't in the jungle. I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. So I think for me, the process that I like to work with um, my clients with that I find really effective is to start to tell the story in a different way, in a very neutral way, because words have meaning to us and they hold a lot of weight, which then brings emotion, right? So yes. trying to diffuse that emotional response, if we start to tell the story in the narrative, in a very neutral way, it starts to diffuse that it takes the emotion out of it, right? Rather than even calling them my stepchildren, just call them like a person or a human. And I'm just sitting down at a table with humans who I love. I can infuse, you know, some positive emotion and listen to what they're saying and just do that, right? So break it all down and neutralize it. And then in that moment, I would also bring in like the five, four, one, five, four, three, two, one technique. If I was really starting to panic and just start to ground myself and my senses. And that's another way to neutralize. And then once I could really diffuse the panic response, then you can start to rebuild the story. Mm -hmm. And that's really where you're moving from a fear mindset, 
right? You're triggered, meaning you're afraid yes. of something into a growth mindset. So once you've neutralized it, you can start to move into that growth and rebuild that story in any way you want. Like, how are we going to create our own relationships based on, I always say as a stepmom, I look for the cracks that only I can fit through, right? Because mm. there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. Every family is different. They all yeah. work and function differently. So there's a place for everyone if you just want to love those kids, right? So yes. when you take those labels away and those words that hold so much emotion, like I was saying, and they can be so triggering, I think that you can create a new beautiful story. I like what you're saying. And I think it's true as well in mental health treatment and in the therapy world to sometimes a client will come to me and be so identified with a diagnosis. And even if that diagnosis is accurate, I, I think it can be so limiting and going back to the box, like keeping someone in this box of who they are. And instead of what they can do, what they can't do, it, it causes someone to be so focused, I think, upon limitations. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing in what you're sharing, this is a way to to look at things differently in your life by by new language or even some neutrality and then being able in that growth mindset way that you mentioned kind of really step out of the box of your limitations and into your possibilities. Absolutely. And words are so important because they're labels, right? And even when I think about as a child, who I wanted to be labeled as, like that seemed important to me at the time because I thought that that external definition was where I was going to gain, um, you know, love and support and all of that, that validation. Whereas now it's the exact opposite. I see labels as so limiting to your point. Like, yes. even, and even as I continue to grow and try and just keep peeling back my own layers, it's interesting to think about what your barriers are. A lot of times they are the only, the, the, the labels that you've put on yourself, right? Right how you've always seen yourself because people have seen you this way. So you've adopted it and you've, you're identifying with it now. Yeah. So that's a lot of the, the cleansing that needs to happen, right? The unsweeting, like Glennon would say. So Glennon Doyle, I said, yeah, Glennon, Glennon Doyle. I know her. like she's my neighbor. Like Glennon would you say. You never know. You never know. <laughs> You can absolutely meet or have a conversation, you know, and so that what you were just saying, Wendy, I was curious about your process personally writing your book since you do share so much about your life and your family and the thoughts in your head and the feelings you were going through and, and just viscerally, like I could feel along with you. And that's what to me makes your book so powerful and such a wonderful read is because we can really connect to your experience and then our own, it, it caused me to flash on so many memories mm, of things good. in my upbringing and make these connections and just reaffirm some things about myself. And I'm, I'm curious, what was it like to write this book? Well, first, that's great. That's such an, um, it's so wonderful to hear that it brought that stuff up for you because yeah. that was, that was really what I wanted to do when I, I started thinking about sharing it with the world. Um, and I've heard that before. So mm -hmm. that's great. Um, so this, I, I didn't write it after I found freedom. I was writing this book as I was going through my process to okay. find freedom from my disorders. So I had done a lot of work after my first marriage. Um, so I got divorced like mid thirties. And then for the next 10 years or so, I did a lot of work around exposure therapy, reparenting, things like that. 
but not as intense as what I went through as I wrote this book. Because what I found was when I found my current husband and we met, um, I realized I was still accommodating my anxiety on a daily basis. And it was really still holding me back. And I could see this other life so clearly that I was so passionate about finding and stepping into and removing this barrier, right? So I started writing just as a cathartic process, knowing that I called it my quest. I was like, I'm going to have to find the answer. Could I ever live free from my anxiety? And I knew I'd have to write my way through it. And so I didn't even realize until about halfway through that there was really this process unfolding. And at that point, I knew that I was finding freedom and I didn't know how the story was going to end entirely, but I could see that this was something that I could share with the world. So I think it is so raw because I was really just, um, I was working through it all. It's, it is the work that I went through is on those pages. It's not sanitized or distilled down in any way. You know, one of the thoughts I did have, Wendy, is I was reading Being a Therapist, and I started therapy as a client when I was 21, and it was so helpful, and that's what helped me realize that I wanted to be a therapist. I did have thoughts like, oh my gosh, I just wanted to see you go to therapy, (laughs) and I'm curious (laughs) about that journey for you, like when you were a younger person and what that, what therapy has, you know, just your personal relationship to it. Yeah, I was not a good patient. What do you mean by that? I wasn't willing to say I'm afraid of harming myself oh. and others <laughs> okay. to be quite honest yeah. because that started, those intrusive thoughts started at Dartmouth and I didn't go on my study abroad because for that yeah. exact reason. And I, I told my dad some story about joining a right. sorority and we right. couldn't I remember afford that, it. Yeah. And right. I had to make up this whole thing because I couldn't say those words out loud. I thought they would kick me out of school and put me right. in a, in a hospital. So I, you know, after the call to the suicide hotline, I went to the therapist and when they say things like, what do you, how do you feel? What are are you thinking? What's going on with you? I didn't know how to lie my way through it and get the therapy that I needed. I didn't even understand what therapy really was. So then I went back again in my late twenties, really just to get medication because my, my thoughts were just constantly running. I, I was just in a constant state of panic and um, again, I, I just wasn't willing at the time because I had never heard anybody say those words. I'd never, I didn't know that that was a mental health condition. It wow. just wasn't spoken of. So one thing that really saved me when I hit another rock bottom in my early thirties was finding these, these mental health tapes for people suffering with anxiety and depression, where one of remember the, that. Yeah. yeah, one of those tapes was a group therapy session that had been put on this tape and they were talking about everything I was going through. And it just, it was like a light bulb going off and it really started to save my life in a way, you know, because I understood that I wasn't completely broken and I could maybe say these words and I wasn't the only one in the world, you know? Yes. Well, I think one of the greatest kind of teaching points in in your story is that no matter what was happening, no matter how rock bottom you felt or were, that you always listened to yourself and it led you to exactly where you needed to be. Because I cannot help but wonder if you would have gone to therapy and said some of the thoughts in your head, they might've pulled you out of school. They might've 
put you somewhere. And I don't think that would have been the best or medicated thing. me in a different right, way for yeah. your healing and recovery. So it's like, you know, and I think the message in your book about really listening to yourself is so important. It, it's a thread from the beginning, from when you were a little girl to the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just so glad you listened to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That authentic voice. I, you know, that never went away as, as, as loud as the anxiety got, I would still push myself. Like, I know this isn't right. I know this isn't me. This isn't all that I meant to do is to just manage my disorders for the rest of my life. And so I think that is, I I agree that that's something that really is a strong thread throughout the book. Um, And I always say that now to clients and in programs that the whole point of this work, this internal journey is to really lower the volume on the stress and anxiety so that we can hear that authentic voice again, because it's static, right? It's just like tuning into a radio station. If there's too much static, you just can't hear the music. So that's what the work is all about. Absolutely. Wendy, I want our listeners and viewers to know where to find you. And I want to say, I love your website. It's so well done Thanks. and there's so much, yeah, good information. So I wanted to tell you that because it's, it's not often that I encounter just such a wonderfully informative website and where can, where can people find you and work with you? Yeah. So the website is wendytamisrobbins.com with two Bs. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of my other um, podcasts that I've guested on and articles. So I really try to make it a supportive environment and community in there. Um, and then for people that sign up for my, my newsletter slash blog, um, I try to provide them with even additional support and discounts for coaching. And I have a new store coming out with um, some things to end the stigma surrounding mental health that should awesome. be up in a week. So I'm excited about that. So they can find me there. And then on Instagram, as you had mentioned in the beginning, it's Wendy underscore Tamis underscore Robbins, um, also LinkedIn, but everything's really on my website and the book is available on my website as well. And my coaching and my corporate programs where I work with and partner with companies and law firms um, to help them uh, change their corporate culture, really, to create a safe space. So awesome. You're so awesome. Thank you for taking (laughs) your time with us today. Thanks so much. It was so much fun. You're welcome, Wendy. And I'll see you around on Instagram. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Y'all, thank you for listening or watching today. If you're watching on live stream, on Facebook, on YouTube, or listening on an audio platform, please take your time, take a moment, and give All Things Therapy a star rating and a written review. It helps so much to get my show in front of more listeners. It is my desire to change consciousness one conversation at a time. I believe we do that. Reach out to me if you want to work together in therapy. I do all virtual sessions, and I'd love to work with you. NOLA Therapy on social media and nolatherapy.com website. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.